We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Inspired by the presence of Captain Jack Youngblood, playing in pain with his broken leg. A savage Ram defense. They hand it to Steven. Great jump cut. 45 seconds. Sees a whole burst to it. 20. Side steps to tackle. Runs left. 25 still on his feet. 46-yard goal by number 39. Running back, number 29, Eric Dickerson. Johnny Hecker, a high school quarterback, is going to throw. The fake is on it. He's got a first down to Stephen Bailey. Mike Jones needs a tackle. And the Rams have won the Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Rams Talk Radio with Derek C. Apollo and Michael Stewart. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio for another installment of the Tour Around the League. Tonight, as we continue making our move around the rest of the NFL, we have a talk with our old friend Corbin Smith. We covered the Seahawks stuff for years. One of our friends of the show who's really always given good stuff. You'll find him on Locked on Seahawks. And then later on, Glenn Naughton from Jets Nation. Take a look at the New York Jets. Before we go anywhere, here's a word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, first up, Corbett Smith with Locked on Seahawks, the division rivals, and he has a few things to say about the Rams. Check it out. All right, folks, we have this Corbin Smith from the Locked On Seahawks podcast, also still this fan nation, uh, covering the Seahawks for what's basically Sports Illustrated. Uh, I've been doing it for a while now. It's been a long time since we've had you on, Corbin, but always a great guest, lots of fun, and really knowledgeable and passionate about the sport, which we always love to have. And you know, last time we had a really good conversation, both these teams were in a different place, and now, yeah, well, now it's just completely mind-boggling where these teams have gone. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Living the dream every day, every day, with a now horrible football team, but that's a different story. We're here about talk about the Seahawks. How are, how are things with the Seahawks? Well, I think that this team is probably still a year away from being a legitimate Super Bowl contender, but they definitely are heading in the right direction after surprising everybody and winning nine games last year. Geno Smith being a Pro Bowl quarterback, and I think Geno's best football is still in front of him, and that might be the scary thing for the rest of the NFC West. They've got a new receiver for him to throw to to go with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. He's got another good running back to hand off to behind him. An offensive line that I expect is going to continue getting better with some of the new pieces that they have brought in. So the the offense is what excites about this team the most. On defense, there's some intriguing pieces too, but that is where I think they have the biggest gap between being just a fringe playoff team and actually being a Super Bowl contender. There are still some concerns on that side of the ball that I'm not sure they've addressed enough to really be viewed as a legitimate contender in 2023. But I think beyond that point, this is definitely one of the teams that's truly ascending in the National Football League right now. Anyway, and when you're talking about this team, I have several questions because I didn't see nine wins coming last year, honestly. I saw five, six. I thought they had a rebuild going. You know, Russell Wilson's gone. And the dynamic to me completely shifted. There's the first, the first thing that comes to mind, and tell me if I'm wrong. It's, it's just a question. I really don't, I don't know. From my outside point of view, it almost looks to me like, in some ways, Russell Wilson was holding them back from where as where he was at this point in his career. Is that something you'd agree with or disagree with? I think at this point that it's pretty obvious they had reached their ceiling with him as the quarterback, and I think that there was enough stuff going on behind the scenes, and and I think we're going to continue learning more as time goes on what went on during that time period, and there's been plenty that's been sourced and revealed and 
obviously you've got two sides of the story type thing with Wilson versus the Seahawks. But Pete Carroll was the very last one that had to be brought on board that, hey, this is the time for us to move on from him. A couple of days before they dealt him to the Broncos, he was still holding on to the idea, we can still make this work, all the success that we've had. And, and I think John Schneider was like, look, this is the best deal that we're ever going to get for him. We're coming off a seven-win season. He didn't play well even after he came back from his injury last year. There were a lot of people in the organization who viewed him as a declining player, and the way he played in Denver last year suggests that they were right. And, uh, you know, maybe he'll bounce back this year in Denver and have a better season. But I think it reached a point where, with the money that he was going to be asking for on another contract, Seattle just decided he is not going to be worth that money at this stage, especially with the stuff going on behind the scenes. Geno Smith has worked hard the last three years. He played well in three starts for us. Let's give him an opportunity. We'll bring Drew Locke in as part of this trade, have him compete against Geno Smith. And I think a lot of people thought that was laughable, but they had confidence in Geno Smith throughout the offseason program last year. I don't think they thought he was going to play as well as he did, but they were able to quickly retool this roster with the draft picks they got back from Denver and the veterans they got back helped them last year as well. And this team has really bonded around Geno Smith. And now he's got a new three-year contract. There were a lot of people who thought they might draft a QB. Maybe they would have if Anthony Richardson was there at number five in April. But I think that this organization really believes Geno is their long-term guy, at least for the next three seasons, that they can maybe win a Super Bowl with him. And what a change from what people were talking about this time a year ago. Where did you stand? Out of curiosity with Geno Smith, because I think we were all caught off guard by how well he played. Uh, you know, on the outside looking in, I was, I was just waiting for him to fail. And for the most part, he never did. So where were you in this whole process and how you evaluated him going to last season? And how do you evaluate, how do you evaluate him now? Looking back at last year, I, I thought Geno Smith was going to win this job the entire time. Not that I didn't think Drew Locke could give him a battle because Locke's got a lot of really intriguing physical tools, but I was impressed by what I saw from Geno Smith and the three starts that he made replacing Russell Wilson in the 2021 season. They only won one of those games. They went one and three in the games he played in, but you may remember this. When he came in for Russell Wilson in that game against the Rams when he got hurt, when Wilson got hurt, Geno almost led a comeback in that game. And I was just really impressed with the way he carried himself in that difficult situation against what was then one of the best defenses in the NFL with Aaron Donald coming after him and Jalen Ramsey in the secondary for him to go out and do what he did quickly leading a touchdown drive. And he did some really nice things. The other games, he completed almost 70% of his passes, which he did for the entire season last year. I didn't think that he was going to have the touchdown and yardage numbers last year that he did. But he took a step forward off those three games where he gained so much confidence playing Shane Waldron's offense. So he was better. I mean, I don't think there's anybody except Geno Smith that thought he was going to be that good last year. But I was more on the side of the fence that I thought this team can at least, I think I picked him to win seven games last year going into the season, which a lot of people thought was a high number. But he was one of the reasons I thought they might be able to squeeze out seven wins because I saw enough with him in that offense with Shane Waldron as a play caller, with the weapons that they had, the run game with Ken Walker the third and company. I just thought they, they're offen that offensively, they were going to be good enough to at least be respectable and be a team in the second half of the year you didn't want to play. 
ended up eking out nine wins in large part because of what Geno did carrying the offense, not just being a caretaker. That is not what I anticipated was going to happen. For years, one of the reasons I had about the Seahawks was they never seemed to really address the offensive line, and they got Russell Wilson killed behind that offensive line. Um, now, through the draft, just generally, they've really, I think, did an excellent job finally getting that offensive line straight. When you look at where this team's going, how comfortable are the offensive line moving into the future, and is there anything else you want to see changed with it? I think that the tackle positions that they are in outstanding shape. Charles Cross had a really good rookie season. Abraham Lucas, their third round pick. I mean, those two guys started 16 regular season games in a playoff game together. And even though they lost the 49ers, I was really impressed in the wild card round how those two held up against Nick Bosa and some of the other rushers that the 49ers have. You could see growth and the ability to step up against top competition. And I think those two have a chance to make a big step forward this year. Where the questions still lie are in the interior because Damian Lewis has been a solid left guard. And I think he's a player that's worth potentially signing to a second contract. But at center, they've had a revolving door since they traded Max Unger as part of the Jimmy Graham deal. So we're talking more than half a decade. They've been trying to find a long-term guy there. Olu Oluwatimi from Michigan, their fifth-round pick, a guy that I had a day two grade on. I think he's going to win that starting job right away as a rookie. And he's going to bring some stability to the middle of that offensive line. And then at right guard, Phil Haynes has shown flashes of ability, but injuries have been an issue. He had Gabe Jackson in front of him. There's still some optimism in the organization, and and I share that. I think that there's some talent there, but he's going to have to beat out Anthony Bradford, a really athletic 330-plus pound guard they drafted out of LSU, who the organization seems to be very high on. I've been impressed with the little stuff that I've seen so far from him. So they've got pieces, and you couldn't say that about a lot of the time that Russell Wilson was back there at quarterback. Although this is another thing that I will say, Derek, I do think now that we can look back in retrospect with the fact the Broncos couldn't protect Russell Wilson last year, I know they had some big injuries, but it does look like that is more of a shared blame now than it was necessarily, oh, Seattle just didn't do anything to put protection in front of him. I think it's extremely difficult to protect Russell Wilson because of the way that he plays. And so Geno Smith, that was a little bit of a fresh, uh, a breath of fresh air last year with him getting the football out quickly, not holding on to it too long, and allowing the offensive line to have a better chance of success. So I do think they're better equipped from that standpoint and a personnel standpoint at all five positions. What did you make over the overall draft class? I loved it. I thought the Seahawks checked off a whole lot of boxes what they need to do. But from on the inside, how do you view it? I think that it was probably a B to B plus draft class in my mind. And the only reservation that I have, and it's a big one literally and figuratively, I felt like they had chances to upgrade the middle of their defensive line earlier in the draft. And maybe Cameron Young, their fourth round pick out of Mississippi State, ends up being a really solid starting nose tackle. He has some ability. And if that happens and the players they draft in the first two rounds, most of them hit, then nobody's going to be looking back five years from now saying, man, they should have drafted Keanu Benton or if they should have drafted with number five overall, uh, they should have drafted Carter out of Georgia. I mean, nobody's going to be looking back then and saying that if Cameron Young ends up being a solid starting nose tackle and they get good production early. But there were a lot of players they had opportunities to pick, and I still think that is the biggest weakness 
on this football team is the interior of their defensive line. So that would be the one thing that's holding me back from giving them an A. But I pegged the Devin Witherspoon pick as a possibility a month before the draft. I watched just one or two games. I thought this kid is a Pete Carroll cornerback, the way he hits people. So I was not surprised at all. They took him at number five. I think Jackson Smith and Jigba is the perfect complement for DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And that is not what opposing defenses want to have to worry about is a guy that chews up the middle of the field, can separate from the slot, is a first down creating machine. That's what's been missing from this passing game to go with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. They've got three really solid tight ends and improving offensive lines. So I just think that the way that they have drafted, I like the offensive linemen they picked in this draft. I think the D-line is probably the only reservation I have. Did you draft the right interior defensive lineman when you had opportunities with all those picks, four picks in the first two rounds? That is the one thing holding me back from giving him a better grade than that. By the way, as, uh, um, as an Ohio State guy, you guys are going to love Jackson Smith. You're just going to love him. They're going to – he's I, – I can go back a couple years – and just hearing the reports of Ohio State, they had Garrett Wilson there. They, I mean, they had all of these guys come through. Chris Olaf and Jackson Smith was the one who was constantly talking about, you think he's good? You think this guy's good? No, Jackson's got them all. He's that good. He's that good. So when I look at Seattle's offense right now coming this season, it's scary. That is a scary good offense, and I don't think enough people realize how good that offense is going to be. No, I would tend to agree with you, and I also think, you know, there's been some debate. Why did you pick another running back in the second round after getting Ken Walker the third last year? But, like, everybody that pays attention to the NFL should know running backs don't last very long, and they get banged up a lot. So this is a team that wants to run the football. They're always going to be that way with Pete Carroll as the coach. So. When you get a chance to get a 215-pound battering ram like Charbonnet, who is another guy that really complements the other standout they have in Ken Walker the third, they're a little different styles. He can catch the football really well. I, I didn't have an issue with that pick. They only had two running backs in the roster going into the draft anyway. And so I think you just added another weapon that Geno can throw to, he can hand it off to. He's also a guy that scored a lot of touchdowns at UCLA, so he's really good in the red zone. And that was an area this team was not good consistently last year. You get another running back that really knows how to get downhill and get yardage in uh, those short situations, that could be a big difference maker. And they were already a top 10 scoring offense without having an efficient red zone attack. So looking at the NFC West right now, where do you put the Seahawks in terms of one, two, three, four, and overall the NFC? Where do you where do you have them? Right now in the NFC West, I still think the 49ers have the better roster overall, but I do think Seattle has closed the gap. And I could see if everything fell in line, I could see the Seahawks giving them a run for their money because I still think, regardless of who the quarterback ends up being, whether it's Brock Purdy or Lance gets a chance, or if Sam Darnold's their quarterback, I mean. I would take Geno Smith over any of those three, even with the way Purdy played last year in the second half. I still think Geno is the superior quarterback. So that usually ends up being an equalizer in games like that. And I think Seattle's defense has improved enough where they could maybe go out and win 10, 11, at most 12 games this year 
And that would put him in a position, if they could get to 11 or 12 wins, maybe that's enough to win the West. But I still think the 49ers overall are a better football team. Seattle has made up some ground. And I'm going to say this right now. I'm not sleeping on the Los Angeles Rams. I know that a lot of Rams commentators out there are saying this team lost all these good players. We were bad last year. I got to see what Matthew Stafford looks like. But there's still enough talent there. They drafted some guys I'm intrigued by. They have good coaching. So the Rams right now would be number three in my mind. And then the Cardinals are a very, very distant fourth. If they get Kyler Murray back healthy early in the season, maybe they eke out a few more wins if he's able to mesh with their new coaching staff. That's a big if to me. So I I think that right now the 49ers and the Seahawks are the two teams that clearly have the best playoff chances. I think the Rams could be on the fringe there if everything goes back in line health-wise and their guys, their stars are able to play. And then I would say the Cardinals are that very distant fourth team that is going to be competing for a number one pick and and maybe the number two pick because they have the Texans first round pick as well. They might have two really high draft picks next year to try to turn things around quickly. What about the NFC overall for the Seahawks? I, I still I think Philadelphia is one of those rare teams that lost the Super Bowl that got better. I think Philadelphia is a dangerous team. San Francisco, as I mentioned, with their defense and some of the weapons they have on offense, the coaching that they have with Kyle Shanahan. I still think that those are the two best teams. I think Detroit is the sleeper to watch, though. I could see the Detroit Lions if everything falls in line with the way they played late last year. The coaching, I, I think Dan Gamble, Dan Campbell has done a phenomenal job there. Detroit is a team that I could see sneaking up into that top three range and winning the NFC North, especially with Aaron Rodgers now being in New York instead of Green Bay. And then behind there, that is where I think that the ceiling is at probably for the Seahawks right now. And that would be as a wildcard team. They'd be seated a little lower, but I could see them being the third or fourth best team in the NFC right now as things are constructed. And if their rookies come in and contribute, Geno takes another step forward. The defense plays better. They have a little better health on that side of the ball. You know, maybe they can win the division and you're looking at a two or three seed. But that would be the absolute ceiling for me. I I just see the Eagles and 49ers standing out as superior football teams right now. And just, you know, for the Rams, I mean, on our side, I'm one of those commentators who has said, you know what, they lost too much talent. And I look down their schedule and I see, I don't see them really favored in many games, except Arizona. So I, I, I guess I struggle a little bit here in the asset perspective. Well, don't sleep on them. Don't sleep on them. I can run through the laundry list of players they, they let go. And... It doesn't. I'm here. I'm here for it, though. I liked the draft class. I I liked a lot of what they did preparing for the future. But it's I still find that hard to grasp onto that. They're still a team that is a, a team to, you know, still think about. I'm looking. I'm looking at 2024. So it's, it's interesting hearing your perspective on that as well. Yeah, I think that the big thing, as I mentioned, is what happens at quarterback, because we don't know where Matthew Stafford's health is going to be at with the injury that he had last year. I was wondering if he was going to be done playing, and that ended up not being the case. But that is still something to monitor. But if you get him back healthy with some of the young players they brought in, you've still got Cooper Cup, you've still got Aaron Donald. There's a few other pieces there. 
I just think with the coaching staff they have, they're going to be kind of like the Seahawks were last year. I don't know that they can win that many games because I do think that they don't have quite as many young players that are ready to pop as what the Seahawks did last year. But I could see them bouncing back a little bit. And if everything falls in line, maybe they're a wild card team. And part of that also is, Derek, the NFC stinks overall. <laughs> I mean, the exodus of quarterbacks the last couple of years and the AFC, you're going to have some really good quarterbacks that inevitably you're not going to be in the playoffs just because there's so many of them over there. So I think that the NFC is more wide open and that could make a team like the Rams that if they were in the AFC, I'd be saying top five, top 10 pick, count on it. In the NFC, though, I just feel like it's going to be wide open enough that a team like that, because they still do have some big time stars and they've got an intriguing draft class. Maybe they can eke out a few games that we didn't think they were going to win. And, and suddenly they're in the playoff race because of the conference that they play in. So that that would be my rationale behind it. I don't think they're going to be back in Super Bowl contention or anything like that. But I, I could see them being fairly respectable this year. I, th- I think something that to, just to think about, though, in terms of not just for the Rams, but with Seahawks, they're, they're playing the same divisions here. And the AFC North, for example, you're getting the Bengals, the Ravens, a much improved Steelers team and the Browns who have talent, just haven't figured it out yet. That's a tough AFC schedule alone yep. right there. And that's for all four teams in the division. And that's just something to think about. When we're talking about uh, coming, you know, if it was the AFC South, I'd be like, yeah, we're all right. You know, if it's that those four games for all the teams in the division are going to be tough across the board. And that's also I've been thinking about, you know, can you recover from a tough, Interconference schedule again, and the Seahawks are right there because they're in the same. They're they're playing the same divisions. That's something's being underestimated. The NFC West is a tough slate this year. It's not going to be easy. Yeah, that division is going to be a gauntlet. The AFC North, especially if Cleveland plays to its upside, because I think the Browns have as much talent as any team in that division, but they just haven't been able to put it together. And I think Pittsburgh is a team that if they get a big jump from Kenny Pickett with some of the additions they've made on both sides of the ball, the coaching that they've got. Yeah, I agree with you. That is going to be an issue. But again, all of the NFC West teams are going to have to deal with that. And it just feels like the divisions in general, the AFC aside from the South, I mean, the West is still a very solid division. The East is loaded. So NFC teams are not going to have it easy playing against the AFC unless you're playing the AFC South. And even that division, you got two really fun incoming rookie quarterbacks, some new coaches. I think Jacksonville is a sleeper that's just getting started. So it's just, to me, the AFC is just light years ahead of the NFC. So that's why I think for teams like the Rams and even for the Seahawks in their case, you know, maybe they only win 10 games, but that might be the number two seed in the conference this year because there's, just such a big gap between the NFC and the AFC, in my opinion. Well, I, I agree with you. It's, it's it's a nasty gap. My gosh, it's a gap. All right, Corbin, can people know where to find you in all your work? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Don't worry about the uh, blue check being gone. Uh, I'm not going to be paying for one of those, but that is my official account at Corbin Smith NFL. And uh, you can find Locked On Seahawks on YouTube and all major podcast platforms. And all my writing is available at all Seahawks on Fan Nation. So just go to uh, si.com slash NFL slash Seahawks, and you can see all my articles there. All right, thanks so much for coming on. All As always, a great conversation. And 
I hope we talk to you more in the season. Sounds good, Derek. Take care, man. All right. So uh, there's he's he's pretty he's pretty excited about what the Seahawks are. I think the Seahawks did a lot of great things this offseason. It's going to be really hard to beat them. Yet he says, don't sleep on the Rams. Do not sleep on the Rams. I don't know if I agree or not. I have serious reservations with the loss of talent in the Rams. You've heard me talk about this, I'm sure, here and there. We'll talk about some more. But another, yet another person telling us, don't sleep on the Rams. All right, before we get over to Glenn Naughton, here's another word from our sponsors. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right. So again, another, you know, another pretty close to perennial visitor to this show is Glenn Naughton from Jets Nation. And he always has great information on the Jets, always has a great take, and is brutally honest on his team's takes. Uh, not one to be biased. At least not overtly biased. He'll be honest about where they are and where they're going. And he's got a lot of great things to say with the New York Jets. Check it out. He's Glenn Naughton. All right, folks, here's Glenn Naughton from Jet Nation. He's been on the show before many a times, one of our favorite conversations because he'll be real with you about everything that's right and wrong with the Jets. He won't sugarcoat anything. And that's one of the things I really enjoy about our conversations. And for this year, the tour is different than we're used to talk, talking about how much the Jets are going to suck. And, well, they shouldn't suck this year. <laughs> Matter of fact, they're looking pretty decent. How decent? Glenn, that's up to you, man. You got to tell us what's going on. What's what's new besides the obvious with the Jets? <laughs> well, what's new? You know, of course, the obvious is Aaron Rodgers. Um, the uh, the biggest difference to me with this team right now is the the depth on the D line is really just insane. Um, I have a hard time believing we're not going to see a trade from the Jets at some point because teams need pass rushers and the Jets have them. Um, you know, we saw the other day in their preseason game, Bryce Huff, who is a guy who doesn't play a ton of snaps. And if you don't watch him on a down to down basis and you only look at his box score, you think he's just some, you know, some jag who comes off the bench eight or 12 times a game. But he's, you know, he's got the quickest get off in the NFL. Um, you know, of course, he's helped by the fact that he's he's strictly used as a situational pass rusher. So he's never really anticipating the run. But he he impacts plays. You know, he he's a a, a playmaker off the edge who's disruptive for opposing offenses. And he was playing deep into the fourth quarter the other day. And Robert Sala was asked about that. They said, hey, this guy's a really important situational player for you. Why is he playing this many snaps? And Sala said, look, somebody's got to play. You know, we have six or seven guys who we believe can get to the quarterback or at least, you know, disrupt the quarterback. You can't sit them all. So he ended up playing. So the Jets depth along the D line is, is to me, the most exciting thing aside from the addition of Aaron Rodgers. And looking at this defense, the names on this defense, Quinn Williams, Carl Lawson, C.J. Mosley, T.J. Reed. Oh, my gosh. The names, the names, the names, Quincy Williams. Like, how in the world do they not finish top 10 in the league this year in defense? Uh, listen, um, if they're healthy, I think they're top five. 
Um, and, and I really, you know, when I look at this, this team from top to bottom, like, you know, the Jets have been so bad for so long that I, I, I try to make a habit of tempering expectations. But I even I look back to last year when, you know, when the offense fell apart, they scored one touchdown in the last month of the season. They couldn't beat anyone. They were still on the playoff hunt at that point. And really, the reason they were in the playoff hunt was because of that defense that, you know, they'd been taxed. They had spent a lot of time on the field by that point in the year. And and as I watched the playoffs, that the most frustrating thing to me was watching how many teams were making big, you know, winning their games by making these big pass plays down the field. That all I could think was, if this was the Jets, teams would be having a much harder time doing this with with that combination of Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed. Um, so because the, that combo, those guys on the back end with Quinn and Williams up front, I said all year they they are what made things work. You look at the Jets, you know, de- statistically on defense, were one of the worst teams in the NFL when Quinn and Williams was not on the field. That's how big of a difference maker he is. When he's on the field, they're a top five unit. Um, so if you've got a healthy Quinnen and healthy corners, this defense should once again be top five. And, you know, the, the addition of Will McDonald and what he brings off the edge, they're going to have constant fresh legs coming off the edge. And I don't see how they're not a top five unit. Again, it, health is always the big issue, right? But if everyone stays on the field, this should be an absolutely dominant unit. Now, moving the offense. That's where the, I guess some of the question marks are going to be. You bring in Aaron Rodgers, who, I mean, let's be real, didn't look great last year. Hasn't looked great the last couple of years. But, you know, Garrett Wilson there, Tyler Conklin, your receivers are interesting. And Al Lazar comes over as well. How are you seeing, I mean, I'm sure you've been watching camp. I'm sure you've been keeping track of how the team's gone, been doing so far in camp. What's going to be different this year? Well, again, much like the D-line, and, you know, it's a Corey Davis is a big one, like his health. He's missed games. He's missed a chunk of games each each of the last two years. For my money, he's the second best receiver on the team. I know they brought in Lazard. He's the guy that Aaron Rodgers has this the chemistry with. But I think that if they go with Garrett Wilson and, and Corey Davis on the boundaries and line up uh, Lazard in the slot a fair bit, which he has done in Green Bay, I think that trio um, and, you know, and Miko Hardman's an interesting one. You know, he's a veteran. He's been around a few years, but he's been mostly a gadget guy. But all reports, you know, when the Jets traded for him is that they were going to ask him and expect him to do more. And now what we're hearing in training camp is that him and Rodgers are, you know, doing a nice job, like with, with, with the quick hitters. You know, Rodgers is a master at hitting guys, you know, to, to where leading receivers and throwing guys open. And if you're doing that with a guy who has with a guy who has Miko Hardman's speed and Garrett Wilson is just I mean, Garrett, I don't think people understand how unbelievable it is that Garrett Wilson put up 1,100 yards last year. He may have had the worst quarterback situation in the NFL as a rookie receiver, and he put up 1,100 yards. He had Chris Strebler, Joe Flacco, Zach Wilson, who couldn't get out of his own way. I mean, it was arguably the worst QB room in the NFL. This kid puts up 1,100 yards, you know, having to do a lot of the work himself. You insert Aaron Rodgers now, who, you know, I know Rodgers took a step back last year, but He's only a couple years removed from a monster season, you know, and a, and a couple of MVPs. And I think last year was down to the fact that, you know, especially if you look at Green Bay early in the year versus late, he was working with not just new receivers, but like rookie receivers. So these guys are learning on the fly. And, and you know, we hear all the time. And actually, I, you know, I've heard it a couple of times in Jets camp. The 
the complexity of the offense when Aaron Rodgers is running it because he has so many there's so much nuance, so many little hand signals, so many little changes he can make at the line that he's constantly drilling these kids and trying to make sure they know what they're doing that I think that hurt his production last year. And that's why he's been to, you know, I think that's why he's been to every OTA and every, you know, all, all the practices that Packers fans told us he wouldn't show up to. He was there and working with the receivers because I think he understands the importance of getting on the same page with these guys. So the age is a concern with any quarterback. Anytime a quarterback gets 39, 40, 41, it gets all of them. Like there's only been one or two mm-hmm. that play well at that at that age. Um, and even like, you know, people point to Drew Brees. He really his last year, year and a half, like it was a lot of doing it with experience. Physically, you could tell he wasn't the same guy. So Aaron Rodgers, I think so far through camp, every all the reports are that he's looked great. Um, so I think that if he gets on the same page with these young receivers, I think we'll see sort of a, a, a significant bump in production and and hopefully a drop in, in picks. He threw 12 last year, which is, you know, the worst he's done in years. Now, we're looking at this offensive line as well. Tell us about the offensive line. How will they protect Aaron Rodgers? So here's my take on the O-line. I, I, I was thinking about this the other day and talking to someone about it. And I honestly think that if you were now, listen, I'm not going to say I, I'm as familiar with all 32 offensive lines as I am with the Jets. But I would be shocked if you could find me an offensive line. If you were to rank every single team's floor and ceiling, nobody has a wider gap than this Jets team. Because there are so many questions, but there is so much talent. You know, you look at a guy who they brought in last year as a free agent, Lakin Tomlinson. This guy is a pro bowler who came in, and to be honest, he was bad. I mean, he was really bad. Was it an adjustment? Was it the new offense? Was it the new scenery? Whatever it was, he was not the guy they signed. They signed a pro bowler. They got a guy who was a fringe starter. Okay, Makai Becton hasn't been able to stay on the field for two years. But you go back to his rookie year, and I would say, you know, find me another rookie tackle who was throwing people all around the field the way he was. It was it was you felt like you were watching a guy playing a different sport, like literally just tossing guys. But the health has been a major issue with him. He's dropped 50, 60 pounds. There were some red flags the other day in the Hall of Fame game. They said he was going to play 25 snaps. He played seven and then pulled himself out. But then after the game, he says, I'm fine. I just didn't like the turf, this, that and the other. But for those seven snaps, he was flawless. They ran behind him. He had no problem moving guys out of the way. Protection was fine on the left side. So Becton's another one. AVT, Elijah Vera Tucker, all pro caliber player who tore triceps last year. So like all of the, they have so many questions. Joe Tipman, the, the rookie center, right? Do they, do they go with McGovern, which I think that's what they'll do early on. But I think Tipman is going to steal that job at some point in the season. He moves so much better. He brings so much more. You know, McGovern has the experience of edge. But Tipman, I think, has the 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 athletic ability, you know, the physical ability that McGovern doesn't. So it, it's, you know, every every team's hopes and dreams every year are based on ifs. If this guy can do that, if this, if whatever. But for the Jets, it's like if this O-line plays to their potential, mm-hmm. they're a top 10 unit. I have no doubt. If they suffer the injuries and have the issues they had last year, they're a bottom five unit. Like the, the ceiling and floor on this O-line is. They can be anywhere from elite to an absolute liability, and it's all going to come down to the health. Just to health. So when you're looking at how those teams come together, you have a, you have a division that it's got some teams in there. You know, the AFC a couple years ago was a joke. Now it's now it's a war zone. <laughs> Buffalo, Miami, and lingering in the back, 
New York. I mean, not New York, sorry, New England. And I, you never know Bill Belichick's teams, but you know Buffalo's going to be good. You know Miami's going to be t- tough this year. Where do the Jets shake out in all this? Well, you know, I, I try, you know, not, not to be biased. And, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll let, let's say the Bills are still at the top of the division. But, um, you know, what I've pointed out to people a couple of times, um, when the Jets traded for Rodgers, uh, there was somebody tweeted, I can't remember if it was an ex-player or a fan, whoever it was, somebody tweeted, you know, kind of making fun of the deal, saying, you know, here's how the AFC stacked up before the trade, here's how it stacks up after the trade. And it was no change. The Bills were first, the Jets were second or third. Um, and former Bills receiver Cole Beasley uh, replied to it. And he was basically, he basically said, I don't know if you saw how close the Jets played the Bills last year. I mean, first of all, they split with them. They won one and lost one, um, played them really tough both times. And that was with Zach Wilson and Mike White at quarterback. Like, he's, I think a lot of people, I don't think a lot of people realize how close the Jets were to being able to to beat these teams and really just held back by the quarterback play. Even the Patriots, you know, it took a, a last second punt where the Jets gave up three points on defense and lost because of a punt return at the end of the game, you know, because they just couldn't move the football. Um, so you insert Aaron Rodgers and I'm going to go out on a limb and say, you know, He's good for a touchdown against the Patriots, and we won't see another game where the Jets score three points and have to try to find a way to win and then lose on a last-second punt. But I think Miami, I think, listen, no, nobody is hiding from the fact that it's it's up to Tua's health. Um, you know, I, I think Dolphin fans overrate Tua. I don't think he's bad, but I think he just, they've done that track team that they have assembled. I'm not going to lie, even with the Jets' corners, that Miami offense worries me. I mean, you've brought in Robbie Anderson, former Jet, who's probably going to be their fourth or fifth receiver, and he's a sub four four guy. You're bringing Devin A. Chain out of Texas A and M, who's like he's a huge X factor because the the speed and athleticism is elite, like probably top one percent of the league. But the size, he's such a diminutive guy. Like, is he going to be able to take a beating, or you know how how much can they rely on him to touch the ball? But with Waddle and Hill, Miami is is a legitimate threat. They have good, you know. A lot of people are going to compare the Jets and Dolphins corners. I like the Jets corners more, especially when you consider one through three. Michael Carter, the Jets nickel, doesn't get nearly enough attention. He's one of the top nickel backs in the league. So I like the Jets secondary, but that's not to say Miami's isn't top two or three. So these are a couple of really good teams. And honestly, even myself, I, you know, I said a couple, maybe a month ago, that I've been so focused on the Bills. I have slept on Miami a little bit, but when you look at them, it's like it's not going to be a cakewalk. Um, and I, I wouldn't be shocked if the Jets do finish second in the division, but again, I'm just, I'm looking at it, oh, you know, projecting everything based on no major injuries for any teams, which some teams are going to have them, but you just can't, they're, they're, you can't predict who will have what. I think the Jets one through 53 because of their, again, their depth on the edge, their depth at receiver, the fact they've got Aaron Rodgers. I think the Jets win the division. But if they have issues on the O-line, I wouldn't be shocked if they, you know, they lose a few games and and both Buffalo and Miami are a threat. You're calling for the Jets to win the division. There we go. I didn't see that one coming. I saw you. <laughs> but, you know. Yeah, it's like know. I said, it, 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 it just it, it comes down to like I said, it's, it's going to be far from easy. But I just I feel like with these with these edges and these corners um, and this offense, I feel like they they can beat anybody. Um, the, the, their Achilles heel, you know, I'm sure you'll get it some to it at some point. Their weaknesses, I think, will be at linebacker and safety. Like, I think teams are going to eat them up in the middle of the field. 
Um, and the Jets are going to have to find a way to protect against that. They have some young guys who haven't played a lot, but who are like Tony Adams, the safety is going to start. It looks like he's a second year undrafted free agent out of Illinois, but a super athletic guy who he was the youngest starting corner in Illinois history when he when he started there as a freshman. And uh, and Jamie and Sherwood, the linebacker like those guys might be they're more athletic than the guys they had last year. So they might be able to shore up the middle of that field. But until they show they can do it, tight ends and running backs are going to have an opportunity to feast on, you know, the likes of C.J. Mosley and Quincy Williams on the outside. Um, you know, the, the jet safeties weren't great last year, but, you know, Joiner is gone, who was a big issue, and and Tony Adams slides in in his place. So hopefully those guys are the upgrade that the Jets are are hoping for. What was the? I'm, I'm moving. Sorry, I'm shifting gears a little bit. What was the issue with Zach Wilson? What was the? What what? I mean, this is, he was supposed to be the franchise guy, and yeah, all of a sudden everything is well hot garbage. What happened to this dude? Yeah. Um. Listen, I I hate I hate blaming coordinators. Um, and I'm, believe me, this is, Zach is the problem. I'm not, I'm not sugarcoating it. Um, but really some of the stuff we've heard since, uh, Mike LaFleur left has left me thinking that, you know what, maybe, maybe he was a bigger part of the problem than I was willing to acknowledge. Um, and because I just, I feel like that's a, I feel like that's something fans say when they don't want to hold a player accountable. Because we're not behind the scenes. We don't know what's going on in the locker room and in the meeting rooms. But, you know, well, I like that player and he's failing, so I'm just going to point to the coordinator. Um, I don't like to do that. But we've heard enough since his departure that it's like maybe maybe he was a part of the issue. But Zach's issue at this point, whatever got him here, whether it was confidence because of what was happening on the field and practice, whatever it was, it's in his head. Zach, listen, I was I was. 100% on board with taking Zach Wilson with that pick. I was thrilled when they took it. I watched every single throw he made in college, and that guy could thread the needle as well as anybody. And people can talk to me about the level of competition, but listen, we've seen a million players come from low-level schools and and dominate. Like, if you can play, you can play. Right? Where does Steve McNair, you know, um, Jerry Rice, Terrell Owens. Like, if you're a great player, you're a great player. And Zach Wilson looked every bit of a great player in college. And I think what happened it at some point, it became psychological with him. And if you go back and watch him from last year, and I went back again this offseason and watched some of his BYU stuff. And the unbelievable thing about Zach Wilson is that at some point he got to where he couldn't make the easiest. Th- he can't make the throws that you and I can make in the parking lot before the game. And it's infuriating. You're watching this guy bounce screen passes throw. You know, he's, he's there. There's uh one clip that was it was going around for a while to kind of accentuate the point of how bad he was throwing a screen pass to Braxton Berrios. It must've been three feet over his head. I mean, these are passes that you're asking him to play catch, right? Like, Hey, the, the guy's in the flat, there's no defender within five, 10 yards, just hit him and let him make a play. And he couldn't do it. And it, for me, you know, it, it's funny. I think back, you know, I'm, I'm not a baseball guy. Anymore. I, baseball was like my first love as a kid. And I loved it for 20 some years, but then it turned to trash and I stopped watching. But I remember back to the old Chuck Knobloch days when Chuck Knobloch had the yips and couldn't make a throw from second base to first base. And I went to the Jets Falcons game last year, which was week four. So week four of Zach Wilson's second season. And um, I had, you know, I'm sitting in like the second row and I see him bounce a screen pass. And I'm like, this guy's got the yips. Like he he's Chuck Knobloch right now. He's in his own head and he. He can't make a throw to a guy who's standing eight, 10 yards away in the flat on a swinger screen. And so because and I've 
you know, kind of kept an eye on it from that point because it worried me because the Yankees never fixed Chuck Knobloch. That went on for years. He eventually got moved to the outfield. Teams were like, look, nobody can get this guy to throw the ball to first base. It's the easiest throw on the diamond, and this guy can't make it. So they moved him to the outfield, um, and it never got fixed. So once that kind of light went on for me, I was like, is this kid going to be okay, or is he going to shake this? And up to this point, he hasn't. You know, last year when he got some late season starts, when he was still terrible, he did make a couple of, you know, of the makeable, th- the easy throws. And Robert Sala said it in his presser after. He said he made the easy stuff look easy. However, that didn't carry on. It he he kind of it's in his head. Physically, he's got the talent. He can move. He can throw on the move like few people can. He's got all the arm strength in the world. The release is quick when he's when he's decisive. But he's it, it's it's the confidence. He's hesitating to make the throws when they're there, and he's and he's overthinking the easy stuff and not hitting them. But this approach the Jets have taken. A lot of Jets fans don't like it because they just want him gone. I love it. Like, I'm tired of watching teams give up on quarterbacks too early. Like, just because a 19 or 20-year-old kid doesn't get it right away doesn't mean some mentorship won't get him there. And the Jets went out and got the, the probably the best guy on the planet to do it in Aaron Rodgers. Now, is Aaron Rodgers good with Ben Ring, Zach Wilson? Uh, well, absolutely. I, you know, I think this is this is a unique situation because you always hear how veteran quarterbacks don't want to mentor young guys because why should I mentor this guy to take my job? You know, and they'll even if even where they're helpful, they might give him a little bit of info, but hold back on the on the key stuff. But Zach Wilson, because, you know, he's he made it clear before the Jets traded for Rodgers that Rodgers was his childhood idol, the guy he modeled his, his game after. And the Jets went out to Green Bay last year to play the Packers um, and, you know, in a, a, a scrimmage, you know, preseason. And Rogers and and Wilson hit it off there and they, you know, had contact info and they they became friendly. So they were already on a friendly basis talking to each other. And then when this deal came to fruition, you know, the Jets made it clear, like, we want you to mentor this kid. Well, Aaron Rodgers knows I'm Aaron Rodgers. They're giving up ones and twos to get me and they're going to pay me, you know, tens of millions of dollars. My job is in no jeopardy. Like, there's nothing that can happen that Zach Wilson takes this job. So I think Rodgers knows that it's not a situation where. You know, it's not similar to Green Bay where he's thinking, I've got five, six, seven years left in me, and they went and drafted my replacement, where it was a slap in the face. And this situation is so much different. And you see them. I mean, whether it's whether it's media, whether it's the Jets themselves, whether it's fans at practice, you people you keep seeing these these tweets go out of Rogers and Wilson, like, you know, Rogers going over and grabbing him after a throw to talk him through something. And, you know, even the other night in the preseason game against the Browns. Um, Rogers had the headset on and he was calling some of the plays. Uh, Zach said Zach's big play a 57 yard completion. He said after the game, that was Aaron's call. Like Aaron, Aaron made that decision. So Rogers has absolutely embraced it. And I think, again, it's the fact that he knows Zach Wilson poses zero threat to him. And there was already a good friendship and rapport in place before the trade happened. So it's been probably is better than anyone anticipated. So look, just looking ahead, just curiosity more than anything else looking ahead now. You know, Zach Wilson, first round pick, entering his third year now, means they have a fifth year option because of the first round pick. So is the plan for Rodgers to mentor him for two, maybe three years and see if they Wilson's ready then? What's the plan? Well, that's a good question. You know, that that's the great unknown. And I've I've thought about that one a few times because, you know, and I, I pitched this hypothetical on on my show one day. I said, what if you know, again, hypothetically, let's say Zach Wilson lights it up this preseason 
And then he gets on the field for a couple of games during the year, be it maybe an injury, maybe there's a blowout and they get him a, they let him play a quarter and he, and he looks great then. Well, now you've got an asset that Zach Wilson's probably looking at it thinking, you know, I want to hit free agency now, you know, cause these guys want to get paid as, as much as possible, as soon as possible. So I think the jets in their mind, the ideal scenario would be he plays well enough that they can justify the 50 year option. And then Rodgers goes and then they extend Zach. That would be the, you know, the dream scenario, how it plays out and how much time he gets on the field. You know, again, having mentioned this, how good I think this team can be. I think we'll see some I think we'll see the Jets win some games where they're up comfortably in the fourth quarter. And at that point, do you say like, all right, let's put Zach out there to either evaluate him ourselves and see if we like him or to see if another team that loved them before the draft says, okay, this gets fixed. We'll give you a one and a two. And maybe you take picks for him. You know, there's so many things that can happen. And and there's, you know, there's, of course, the worst case scenario where he doesn't play well enough to justify the fifth year option. And then he goes somewhere and takes the next step. And he's great there. So the Jets have to weigh all that stuff. And and I'm sure the evaluation process, that was the thing that surprised me most against Cleveland the other day. I really thought he would get at least a half, if not three quarters. Um, and he threw five passes and they and they pulled him. I mean, I feel like this needs to be. You know, the, the one of the top priorities for this team this year is see as much live action with of, with Zach Wilson preseason or not like real bullets flying mm-hmm. and see how he does. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think ideally you bring it Aaron to mentor him. Then the plan would be to keep him if he's playing well. Um, and maybe with the the way Rogers structured his deal, taking a thirty five million dollar pay cut. And with, you know, of course, the salary cap will go up in the next couple of years. Maybe they feel like tagging Zach. Or giving, paying him the fifth year option, knowing he won't play, maybe that's worth it if they feel like after that year they've got their long term answer at quarterback. All right. So, can you let people know where to find your work? And yeah, hopefully we're seeing you guys get your get some magic going on. Yeah, get get their act together. Yeah, um, you can get me at JetNation.com. It's J-E-T. Not it's not Jets Nation. Jet Nation. Um, at Twitter, I'm at Ace Fan. No, I. Change my damn Twitter handle. I keep forgetting. Uh, Twitter handle is at JN Radio underscore Glenn, G L E N N. And yeah, check us out at jetnation.com. We're, uh, we, we have some, uh, some, some, a few, uh, quite a few of our members are, are fans of other teams who kind of joined maybe in a random week when the Jets were playing that team. And they were like, man, this place is really cool. And they're like, they're regulars as reps, as fans of other teams, just because the vibe is great, you know. Jet Nation is great with being like, they'll let you get away with just about anything you want to say about anything. You know, it's like if you're going to get into like racist, religious stuff like that, that's a no go. But just about anything else, I've I've checked out other message boards where they're like, you know, you can't say that about the team or you can't say this about a player. Uh, Jet Nation is like, look, as long as you're not some maniac, hateful person, Mm -hmm. you can get on there and say pretty much whatever you want. And I think a lot of fans and that that's what that's what I've seen. A lot of fans from other teams are like dude, this is great. Like you let people say stuff here and you don't tell them, you know, they can't say anything against the team. And it's a, it's, it's a great vibe. Great people. Awesome, dude. Well, thanks so much for coming on talking with the Jets and I'm hoping for a great year, man. You know, there's certain teams after when you see them suffer for so long, they're hoping yeah. for success. You yeah. Know, other ones. I, 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 yeah. I appreciate that. And I know, you know, it's, it's even, even though the Jets have been terrible for a long time, you know, I remember years ago, thinking like, oh, I'm I'm happy for the Colts. I, I actually at a point was happy for the Patriots. 
you know, early, early in the dynasty before you had a reason to really hate Tom Brady. It's like, well, those 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 poor fans have been in the basement with us for how many years now? I'm glad one of us is good. Uh, you know, but then uh, but then then they got to the point where you hated them and you didn't want them to be good. But I know what it's like <laughs> to look at other fans from a distance and say, man, that they, like, uh, yeah, I want my team to win. But if they're not going to let somebody new, let somebody new, oh, yeah, you know, win something and, and have something to celebrate. There are certain teams, the Jets, the Lions, you know, teams like, you know, their fans have been long suffering. Man, just just. Even, even the, it's like the Browns were on that list, but then you go get the Sean Watson and it's like, hmm. Now it's tough to to feel sympathy. Like you just went out and got this guy with everything you had going on. And you paid him a trillion dollars, and it's like you're you're less sympathetic there. But yeah, the Browns fans they they've probably you know the Jets and Browns I think have been through more than any fan base in over the last couple of decades. Um, the the Browns you know getting their team taken away, which is about as bad as it gets. But then the Jets you know like you're the only team in the league that shares a building you know with another team, and that's that who who wants to do that. Well, I mean, look, I I say Lions haven't won playoff games since 1992, so there's that. That's the team. Yeah. And, and, and in fairness, I live in Ohio. It's Rams fan, right? And you know, most of my family are Browns fans, and I mean, most, many Browns fans were not happy about it. About yeah. the move from Watson, so I don't blame them. And I get why the Browns are the Browns. They're they're at a place now where they're desperate. They're desperate to win, and Watson was available and. They roll, yeah, and they got they have some receivers, man. Their receiver room is deep. Yeah, like Elijah Moore, who they got from us for pennies on the dollar, I think is going to be. I think he's going to have a monster year with Deshaun Watson. I think the Jets had to trade him. You know that you can't, you can't. You had a coach spend the entire offseason saying positive vibes only, and then in the middle of your first significant winning streak in like six years, and the first thing you say is trade me. I'm not getting enough targets. It's like Jesus. Like, can we really keep this guy around after? You know. Like the whole message has been stay positive, yeah. and his first message is like, "This is about me, and if I'm not getting targets, I want out. I don't care if we're winning." It's bananas. But anyways, I'll let you go. Looking forward to the season. Looking forward to seeing the Jets do their thing. Have a great one, man. All right, man. Take care. I'll tell you what the A- the AFC East is phenomenal this year, and you know. I- you can't even sleep on the Patriots. The Patriots do not look good on paper right now at all, but yet Bill Belichick is Bill Belichick for a reason, and you never know what's going to happen. So take a look at the AFC East if you get a chance. There's a lot going on there, and of course we'll get some more interviews as well with other teams. That's it for Rams Talk Rear today. I hope you enjoyed the show as we take our tour in the league and be back as more installments roll in as we get closer and closer to week one. Follow me on Twitter at DC Paul. Follow us at Talk Rams. And of course, we're going to talk more rants. It's what we do. Rowdy, you have a great one.